Acts chapter 1, and uh, we're going to cover a couple of things. Starting next week, I'm going to get into the kingship of Christ, and, uh, but I, I want to kind of clear this up this morning. Nothing to really be cleared up, but before we go on, we've been talking about prophetic times and prophetic seasons and, and prophecies and all this stuff, and so I'm going to kind of deal with that on the lighter side today before we move right on. Acts chapter 1, verse 3 through 8. This is right after the resurrection of Jesus, and to him also this is that he, which is Jesus himself, showed himself to be alive, his passion by many infallible proofs, being seen of them for 40 days after his resurrection, there's been 40 days, and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. I have been talking to you about this, I'm saying the same thing to Jesus. He's talking to you about the kingdom of God. He's not signing autographs here. He doesn't have a book on how to be resurrected. He's talking about the kingdom of God. And being assembled together with them, they commanded that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which he said that you have heard of me, which he did. For John truly baptized you with water, but you shall be baptized in the Holy Ghost not many days from now, which shall be 10. He's been alive resurrected for 40, and on 50, the word Pentecost means 50. So we know in 10 days, Pentecost will fall. And so when they therefore asked to come together, they asked him, Lord, saying, wilt thou at this time restore again to the kingdom of Israel? Once again, their, their locked brain about, they, they want to build an empire. They want to build a bigger church. They want him to take over. They want him to run Rome out of Rome and and them start their own bus ministry. And he said, he said unto them, it is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father has put in his own power. Now leave that up there. My whole, growing up in the Assembly of God Church, and I'll be honest with you, I probably didn't pay attention. Well, I know I didn't. But I've always heard this growing up. We, we, don't, we don't know the time, but we know the season. That is even unbiblical. And I asked you about two or three weeks ago, why do you even need, to, need a sign? Because I gave you the answer. If you own a business or if you manage your business and ever, all your employees, and you say, like I told you, I'm not going to read this, but Gail and I have about 14, 15 girls works there. And we go, uh, ladies and gentlemen, Gail and I, we're going to be leaving. We're going to run some errands. I don't know, I'll have to be back in a day or two or if I'm going to go up to Cozumel, Mexico, but I'll be back. And if they all meet me at the door saying, uh, when will you be back? Can you, can you give us a signal? Can you call us? Can you call us right before you get to the stoplight? Why do you need to know? Oh, we're interested in your life. No, you're going to goof off. That's what you're going to do. You're, you're, you're just going to goof off. Why do you need to know? And, and don't say this to me, well, it, it, it'll just help people come to know Jesus. Jesus himself said about the rich man and Lazarus, he said this, even if, 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 you're, if you come up out of hell breathing smoke and fires on your head, it will, if they don't believe the commandments of God, even a man coming up out of the ground will not change their heart. It may change their conscience, but it won't change their heart. He said, what's this? What's this? I didn't say this. Jesus said this. It's none of your business to know. The word times is the word called chronos where we get to work for chronological order, like a calendar. The word seasons and keros, which is an opportunity of time. 
It's, it's a window time. And he said, it's none of your business. Does God have it on a calendar? Yes. Is God like, does God know? He does. Has God let you know? He has not. But just because God hasn't let you in on when he's coming back doesn't relieve your responsibility of, of, of fulfilling the Great Commission. So, watch this. He said it's under you. So I'm going to ask you a question. Of all the prophecy books that you have read, how much money do you wasted? It's going to get quiet. You want your offering back? You can't have it. There. There's a reason why we take it before I start preaching. Oh, I bought that series, Late Great Planet Earth. I spent $900. I bet you wish you had that thing back. Oh, I bought all them series. Left behind? Oh, yeah, you were left behind holding the bag. Okay. He said it's none of your business to know the times and seasons. What? So, what are we supposed to be doing? I'm glad you asked. We have been commanded to fulfill the Great Commission. It's none of your business, and you should not be seeking sign. You should be seeking the kingdom of God. Verse 9 and 10, it says this. After he said this to them, he said, But you shall receive power at the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you're going to be witnesses. Martyrous is a word. It doesn't mean you'll witness. It means martyrs. You're going to live out a lifestyle until you die. In Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. If you don't know this, Jerusalem is your home. Judea is your church family. Samaria is the people maybe in other churches in the neighborhood and uttermost parts of the world is wherever you go. Our first responsibility is to live a life of conviction at home. Don't talk to me about going to a third world country if you can't live it at home. Now, verse 9, watch this. And when he had spoken these things, and while they were beheld him, he was taken up. And a cloud received him out of sight. All right. Verse 10. And while they, which was the disciples, steadfastly looked towards heaven, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel. And they said, you men of Galilee, why are you standing here gazing up into heaven? The word gazing is, is a word called emblepo, but it, it, means, it, it, means to, it, it means to be gawking. So here, here's the picture of this. Jesus has given them an assignment. He said, it's none of your business to know the times or seasons. You just worry about staying here until the Holy Spirit falls upon you. And in that, you're going to be a witness unto me or you're going to live out of conviction until the day you die. And while he said that, he was taken up to heaven. And, and now then, they watched him go up into heaven. And now then, once he's out of sight, they're still gawking at him. Isn't it amazing that the New Testament church we're still staring in outer space instead of focusing on the human race. Amen. 
So he's gone. He's gone. And, and the word gazing doesn't mean, oh, well, that was impressive. They're, they're, they, are, they are just, they can't, they, they can't get their eyes off outer space. And they stand there and looking for, I don't know for how long of a time. Until two angels come by and say, hey, hey, you knuckleheads, what are you doing? But we're just staring in space. We're lost in space. And he said, how long are you going to be standing there in space and looking in outer space? Isn't it amazing that we as a church, we always want to look at where he's been instead of where he's going. Oh, all we do want to do when we come to church, we want to talk about what he's done. Listen, he's done some great things, but he's still going to do some great things. And so when it comes to Bible prophecy, I'm not knocking any of it. I'm just going to put anything in perspective. Here we go. Why are you still gawking in outer space and you've lost reality with human race? Hey, what are you doing? Oh, I'm just waiting for Jesus to come. Really? Have you noticed maybe the building needs painting? Have you noticed the grass needs mowing? Well, I know, but I'm looking for Jesus to come back. The guy across the street, if you notice that maybe they need a little financial help, well, I know, but I'm, I'm waiting for Jesus to come back. Gazing. Got their head in the clouds. And their focus is somewhere in space instead of on the human race. We, watch this, did Jesus ascend to heaven? Yes. Will Jesus Descend from heaven again? Yes. But we don't have a right, and it should be not our objective as Christians, because he tells us it's not for you to know the time or season. You know this. You know this. Oh, I, I, I found this in Scripture about times and seasons. It's about a fig tree or a squirrel taking a pecan somewhere, but I know it pertains to the second guy. It is not. You're an idiot. Quit doing that. Oh, I got it figured out. No, you don't. All I want to know, I mean, have, 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 you, have you helped someone in your neighborhood? Well, no. Why not? Well, I'm, I'm, I'm on this prophecy business. It's not your business. Wasted time. And just consider me one of the angels and, hey, what are you doing? Go back to work. Get your head out of the clouds. You're doing nobody any good by staring in space. You're stuck in space. When we have a human race that's beside us is dying that needs to know Jesus. Hmm. So that's my job. So when it comes to Bible prophecy, I'm not against it at all. I like it. It's, I think it's in the Bible. Quit wasting your time on things that he said it's not for you to know the time or season. So, I, I mean, I, I can't imagine this, but I mean, you know, like, like Ken Burge back there, he's got more money than First National Bank's got. But, but I mean, can, can you imagine how much, how much money you got? How much, well, it's just not for you to know. Well, I need to know. Well, what do you need to know? Well, I just need to know because I'm concerned about you. No, you want something. Well... <laughs> Isn't it amazing that these guys fell into the same trap and they're just gazing? I mean, they're just stuck. 
They get, they're spiritually looking at a squirrel. And it took the angels to come along and say, what in the wide world of sports are y'all doing? And they said, I'll tell you what you're not doing. You're not being witnesses. See, there's no free ride here. If you knew this church, there's no free ride. We all have responsibilities. And I know I'm half between Jesus and George Patton. I understand that. But there's a work to be done. There's a work to be done here. And we don't have time to be stargazing. We don't have time to, to get lost in the unknown and, and the pretentious. We have, a real, we have a real great commission that we have been commanded to go and spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. And when is he coming back? I don't know. But I'll tell you, I'm going to occupy until he comes. I'm going to work for my employer as he is standing over my shoulder. I don't need a sign. He don't need a honk to horn. And I don't need a signal to tell me when he's near so I can get busy. Oh, you've had employees like that. You've worked somewhere and said, oh, the boss is coming. Oh, you get busy. Oh, yeah. So Simon Peter is about to get schooled. So, so has anybody ever thought I'm, I've arrived? I'm pretty smart. I know you haven't, but I want to show you Simon Peter's resume. Simon Peter is, by the time we get to Corinthians 10, which is what we refer to as the beginning of the Gentile age, the Cornelius, Simon Peter is on the run now. He's, he's going full blast. He's doing some great things. He's being a witness now, and, and, and he's fulfilling this great commission. So I'm going to read you the resume of Simon Peter. I get letters like that all the time here. The church, they want to come and hold meetings. Oh, they'll send me a resume. So years ago, somebody sent me a resume. It's about two pages long. And I said, all I want to do is talk to your wife and kids without you being in front of them. That's all I want to know. Don't tell me how important and great you are. I just want to talk to your wife and see if you're this way at home. Okay. So this is Simon Peter's resume that as he is touring Asia Minor, this is all biblical. He said, I'm one of the original 12 disciples. Another 12 that I was always in the top three. <laughs> and at the top three, I was the oldest. I was the most mature. I was all... I was an eyewitness to his deity on Mount Transfiguration. I was a person who witnessed the miracles of Jesus firsthand. I even defended my Lord with a sword in the garden while the others ran like cowards. I was baptized with the Holy Ghost at Pentecost, Acts 2 and 1. Matter of fact, my first sermon, 3,000 people were converted. I healed a lame man at Gate Beautiful. My second sermon, 5,000 people were converted. I myself pronounced a death sentence on two of the church members or leaders, and they died as I spoke. It was on finances. Aren't you glad I don't talk about finances? Just my shadow healed multitudes, Acts 5, 15, 16. And when I was cast in prison for preaching the gospel that I prayed, and the angel himself came to my rescue. 
I prayed for a paralyzed man. Immediately, he began to jump and dance thanks to my prayers. And last, but certainly not least, that I hope you won't think that I'm tooting my own horn, but I prayed, and a dead woman, she lived again. Oh, yeah, by the way, did I mention? I walked on water. That's his resume. He sounds perfect. He sounds so spiritually squeaky clean. Matter of fact, the first thing we want to do when we read this resume and everything about what I've just told you was 100% correct. We just want to put a halo on his head. And by his resume, Simon Peter has arrived. But that's all wrong. God is about to take him back to school. And it's amazing in our Christian journey that we can learn certain things. And even after eight years after Pentecost, God's going to take Simon Peter back to school. Thank you for all that you've learned through the years. But God still has to take us into the classroom of obedience to him from time to time. Just when we think we've learned it and we know it all and we've learned it all, God has a way of taking us back to classroom 101 and teach us new things. And after eight years of Simon Peter being on the loose, performing so many great things, still he struggled in a specific area. And God had to school him on it. So what was the schooling? What was the classroom? Well, it's pretty funny. It's found in Acts chapter number 10. And it's dealing with Cornelius. And like I told you a while ago that most Bible scholars feel like that Acts chapter 10 is the beginning of the Gentile age through Cornelius. The Holy Spirit began to be outpoured there. So here's kind of what's going on. The Bible says, about Cornelius, there's a certain man, a devout man that loved God. He, he was a leader in the army, and he loved God, and God was speaking to him some things, and that was unheard of as a Gentile. And, and God said, your, your, your prayers have been answered, and your, your alms and have, have been seen by God. And so now then, I'm going to give you some instructions, and it was weird for him because Gentiles really didn't receive anything from God as far as they knew. <laughs> I mean... You can't be a preacher unless you go to seminary or something. And so what happens is, God said, I'm going to send you a man. Matter of fact, I'll have him brought to your doorstep. His name is Simon Peter. This is found in Acts chapter 10, verse 5 and 6, please. Now, at this particular time, that Simon Peter's fame has become so great that everywhere he goes, he's packing out an auditorium. The word multitudes is, is, is where we get a word for megos, but the people increasingly are coming to him as they th- enthrong Jesus because of signs and wonders. And make no mistake about it, everything that I read you in his resume was true. People not only being healed, but raised from the dead. And, and to be accounted that you absolutely walked on water. Now, if some of you really think you're pretty spiritually in tune, 
when you go home, lock the door, run you some bath water, and see if you can walk on that thing. Try that out. <laughs> so now then, Cornelius is praying in, in, in kind of a closed closet. And he said, you know, I'm, I'm really nobody. I, I love God. I've heard the message. I believe the message. And God said, I'm going to send you someone that will help you. So it says in Acts chapter 10, verse 5 and 6, and now he said, send men to Joppa. So he's the leader of the army. He said, you go get a couple of my guards to go get this guy, his name is, and call for the one Simon, whose surname is Peter. This is Simon Peter. Simon Peter is in Joppa. He lodges with one Simon a Tanner, whose house is by the seaside, and he shall tell you what you need to do. Leave that up there. So here's, here's the picture. This guy Cornelius is a loving God. He loves God. He's a Gentile. He really doesn't know what to do with it. He just loves Jesus. He heard the message, and he's in love with Jesus. He doesn't understand how to connect the dots with Jewish history. He knows nothing about that. He just heard the gospel, and he believed the gospel, and he wants to know more about God. See, the thing about me, I'm not very smart or educated, but I hunger for God. I hunger to know him. I don't want to know about him. I really like to know him. You can know about somebody and not know them. Oh, I know about old so-and-so. Do you know him? And Paul said, I long to know him in the power of his resurrection. I want to know him not in historical part. I want to know him in the power of his resurrection. I want to have a relationship with him in a spiritual way. So Cornelius sends a couple of his buddies Gino and Bruno down to go get him. And they find him. And the word lodges is a wonderful word because here's the picture. Because of the crowd, they know that Simon Peter is coming to Joppa. And it's a small little village. The crowd is so, they're following him. They're following him because he's going to have meetings and, and who knows, you know, that he could be, you could be the next one to be healed or raised from the dead. Who knows? And because the city was so overwhelmed by followers of Peter, Peter couldn't get a room. And Peter is about to learn the lesson of Jesus himself at his birth that there is no room in the inn syndrome. So the crowds were so huge that Peter said, oh yeah, I'm, I'm Simon Peter and at the Holiday Inn or Embassy Suites. He started there. Well, we're booked up. Simon Peter's in town. He said, I know I'm Simon Peter. Well, we're still booked up. So he called Motel 5 or Motel 6 or Motel 1. I'm not sure what it was back then. And everybody's booked up. He can't even get a room. He's the star speaker, but he can't get a room because everybody's come into Joppa to hear him. So somebody says, hey, I know an old boy down there. He lives south of Wilson, but I know an old boy down there, and his name is Simon. And he's right there on the seaside. He said, he'll rent your room. He's, he lives by himself. So Peter goes down there, and this old boy, Peter knocks on the door, and there's a sign on the front door that says, room for rent. And Peter said, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, God. He knocks on the door, and this old boy, big old guy, opens the door. I mean, he's just so full of Jesus, he can't see straight. He says, Simon Peter, I've seen your picture all over the telephone poles. 
Simon said, I, well, I'd like to talk to you about renting a room. Rent a room? Man, you can stay here for free. Everybody's heard about you. And, you know, Simon Peter's been like this. Everybody knows who you are. And he said, well, yeah, did I cheat the time? Yeah, we heard all that, you know. And he said, I'm so glad you're here, brother. I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God with you. We even had the same name, Simon. But the Bible is so smart, he throws in two words that will run Simon's, Peter's train off the track. A tanner. It was a, he was a Gentile taxidermist. It was a Jewish no-no. Matter of fact, in Leviticus 11 says, Whosoever touches the carcass or enters the house of a carcass is unclean. So here's the picture. Simon Peter, in all of his fame and glory, he glows at night with the Holy Ghost. He's raised people from the dead. He's walked on water. He's, he's healed people from, from paralytic problems that have never walked. And all these things, just his shadow healed people. Finds himself in a situation with a Gentile believer and when he opens up the front door, he sees carcasses and deer heads hanging all over this guy's house. And the guy said, come on in. And Peter said, uh, no, I, I, uh, uh, I, I, uh, I, I, I think I'll just stay on the front porch. So imagine how much religion gets in your way of getting free. It's amazing how much religion gets in your way this morning of being free. You may have the Holy Ghost. You may be glowing in the dark and all this stuff. But God will send you to places that's absolutely a taboo in your theological training. So he had no other place to go. So the next day when he went on in, I mean, he was very skeptical. He didn't want to go in because of his Jewish tradition. I can't. I can't sit by somebody that's got a tattoo. I can't sit by somebody that I know that went to the movies last night. I can't sit by somebody that dyed their hair blue. Or I mean, I'm holiness. We don't do that. It's amazing how religious tradition will keep you in slavery from feeling the, the freedom of Christ. It's amazing. So the next day, I don't know if he slept on the front porch or not. He, he didn't want to go in. But the next day, as they went on their journey, they drew down to the city, and Peter went back upon the housetop to pray about the sixth hour. Now, now, so on the next day, he does what he needs to do, and he comes back to this house, Simon the Tanner. What's, what's funny about this, that he names the occupation of this born-again Gentile. And on the sixth hour, which is high noon, P 
Peter decides to go to the rooftop on top of the roof and pray. Let me get this right. He's praying at the sixth hour at high noon on the roof in 113-degree weather in the heat. Get the picture? Peter is not praying. Peter was prejudiced. He was a religious racist. He was trying to get away from me. Yep. Peter finds himself in a position where that this guy didn't look exactly the way that Peter thought he should look. But he was out of options. Isn't it amazing that God sometimes will put you by a co-worker that is almost like yourself just to be a reflection to you? That'll sink in. God, why do you put me by somebody that's hateful and mean and honorary? He said, because that's exactly who you are. I just let them be a mirror to you. So Peter is, don't get the halo. The only reason why there's a halo on his head is because the horns are holding it up. Now then, Peter is so prejudiced. He's run out of places to stay. He's being forced to stay in a place that he does not want to be. Even though this guy loves Jesus, he don't want to be there because because he's a taxidermist. And that's taboo for the religious people. So now then, at high noon, this guy's probably cooking. Who knows what he's cooking? He's going to the rooftop just to get away from him. In the heat. I'm not going to ask you this, but I might as well. Before you throw him under the bus, how many I've asked you to come down and pray and you come down? Are you really praying? Don't answer any of these questions. It'll only incriminate you later. But somebody said, well, hey, let's, let's have a prayer meeting. Let's have a prayer meeting or come down. Let's come to the altar and pray. And you come down and you go, And you're looking around, who's beside you, and you're going, well, I'm just glad Resenda is on that side of the pew, and I'm on this side of the pew. (laughs) You're not praying. You're just playing possum. You're just wadded up in a ball down here, saying something, your mind's on, can we get to the cow before the Baptist gets there? No, you cannot. They're going to go. When you see that Peter was praying, I'm, I'm getting somewhere with you. Peter goes to the housetop to pray. He's not praying. He's not praying. To, I'll prove it. He's, he's trying to get away from this guy. And while he's up there, he goes, Peter, rabbit stew in five minutes. And he goes, oh, my, can you, can you not find me a, a room at the embassy suite, Father? I mean, you know, I, I've got a miracles to do here in about three minutes. Can I not get away from this guy? Verse 10, and while he's up there at noon in the heat of day, hiding out all day long, and he became very hungry, there you go, and would have eaten, but while they were making dinner ready, he, Peter, 
fell in a trance. The word fell is called peripipto. It means, by definition, the Greek says, not planning for something to happen. It was no premeditated thought. It was on accident. He probably had a heat stroke. So when you read this, don't think that Peter's up there, even though that he's got this wonderful resume, don't think he's up there praying for the nations of Israel and praying for you and praying for the taxidermy. He's not. He's saying stuff like this, God, I wish you would get me out of this house. I hate the smell of this. It's unclean. Your word said it's unclean. He's unclean. He's talking about Jesus, but he don't look like me. He don't sound like me. He don't look like me, and I just need out of here. And all of a sudden, something happens to him. He falls into this trance. He didn't mean for it to happen. It's, and so it's kind of like the word, um, I fell in love. That's a horrible thing to say. Because it's the same thing as like, I fell off the cliff. So to say I fell in love, it means that I didn't mean for it to happen, even though it's not a horrible thing to say, but it wasn't to the fact that you intended that to happen. I fell in love. I think love should be something that's being pretty objective, that, that we set in our sights and we're going to do everything and make commitments to love one another. And don't come to church here and say, oh, well, we'll learn to fall in love. No, we won't either. But I'll tell you, when our heart is right and we can set our sights upon Christ and the love of God, that we can learn to love one another. So he fell. He fell. He fell into the trance. I, he wasn't planning on it. By definition, it doesn't mean he didn't say this. Now, okay, I'm going to set my watch. I'm hungry. I'm fasting at noon. He's cooking. I smell it. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to pray so long that I'm going to, God is going to put me in a trance. That's new age. So Peter's up there. He's hiding from this guy. He's running from him. He doesn't want to be in the same room with him. And he gets up there in the heat of day, and he falls into this trance, or he probably has a heat stroke, probably what it is. The idea was back then, if he was a, if he was a Jew, Here's the idea. Jews were always first, and then you could be a Christian. Jews took priority over Christians. And to be a Christian Jew or a Jew that's converted to Christianity, he was a five-star general. Simon Peter was not being spiritual on the rooftop. He was being selfish. That's the way it is. And finally, God, he'd been up for so long, God had to hit him in the head with a heat stroke or whatever happened. And, and Peter has this vision, has it three times, and you know this, and sees this great sheet coming down from heaven with every animal and every creature and everything coming down three times. And finally, Peter, God says to him three times, rise and eat. And Peter says twice, but, but it's not lawful for me to eat of these animals. And the Lord says, have I made anything unclean? And he's not just talking about squirrels and squids and shrimp. He's talking about Bruno and Gino that's on their way to see him. Because if God would not have given him this dream, he would have never followed these Roman soldiers back 
to Cornelius' house. This is not about God sending down a spiritual menu of what we can and cannot eat. You understand me? I understand about health laws. I understand back then pork and certain things could, there's no refrigeration and things, a lot of parasitical problems. I understand that. I'm telling you, God is not sending down a, a menu from heaven saying that we, you know, goat's milk and baby's burp. It's the same thing. You know, it's all the same thing. Johnson grass and okra, bull okra, same thing. Pond moss, same thing. But God's not giving Peter this vision coming down of heaven what you can and cannot eat. He's telling you that there, there is nothing that I have made that's unclean that you cannot arise and eat. These men that are coming after you, they're Gentiles. They're just like that guy you're trying to run from downstairs. Go with them. Quit being selfish. Get your head out of the clouds. Fulfill the Great Commission. See what I like about this church? I like a few things about it. Anybody here ever was Baptist growing up? Don't be ashamed. Just stand up. Let's do that. You're Baptist. What about Methodist? Oh, you can just stand up. We don't care. Methodist? If you're Baptist, just stay standing. Presbyterian. Nazarene, Church of Christ, Lutheran, Pentecostal, Assembly of God, Catholics, I mean Catholics, <laughs> Church of Gods. Some of you didn't even go to church, you didn't even like church. But you're here. You can be seated. You're here. And if I left some of you out, I'll insult you later. You're here. <laughs> and when you come here in the door, I, I don't, the first thing I don't ask you, what kind of church you come from? We got a couple of TSA agents over there. We're going to pass you down like a... I don't care where you come from. I just want to know where you want to go. And Peter's about to get it right. He's about to get it right, and some of you fixing to get it right. God gives him this dream. He said, I haven't made any man, animal, unclean. Arise. Go with these guys. And he goes to the house of Cornelius and the Holy Spirit is poured out. And that seems to be the birthplace of the Gentiles. Acts 10, 39, 43, the New Living Translation says this. And we apostles are witnesses of all that Jesus did throughout Judea and Jerusalem. And they put him to death by hanging him on a cross. But God raised him to life on the third day. And then God allowed him to appear, not to the general public, but to us whom God had chosen in advance to be his witnesses. We were those who ate and drank with him 
And after he rose from the dead, he ordered us to preach everywhere and to testify that Jesus is the appointed by God to be the judge of all, the living and the dead. And he is the one all the prophets testified about, saying that everyone who believes in him will have their sins forgiven through his name. And when he got it right, verse 44 said, and while Peter was speaking, the Holy Spirit fell. You've heard me say this, but this word fell is only used one other time in the New Testament is when the, the Father fell upon the neck of the prodigal son. And loved him. It's amazing what happened when Peter got it right. See, two days before, Peter went and hid from the Baptists and the Methodists and the Pentecostals, and he hid from the Church of Christ, the Adventists. He hid from them. He hid from the Church of Godders and the Catholics and the Lutherans and Presbyterians. He hid from them. He smote his chest and he said, I'm, I'm glad I'm not like the public. But two days later, he got it right. He said, this gospel is for all mankind who will believe that Jesus Christ is God's Son, sent to earth, Savior, Yahshua. And when the people heard that, the Holy Spirit fell. And this word fail, you've heard me say, but it's, it means by definition this, to feel accepted and wanted. When we get this message of the gospel right, instead of segregating ourselves and secluding ourselves from other people that doesn't look like you or act like you or come from the same background, when we get it right, when the Holy Spirit falls into this place, he'll make us feel like we are loved. Because we are loved by the Father. So here's the last statement. Let's get our heads out of outer space. And let us get back on human race. We are His witnesses. I don't look like you. Thank God you don't act like me. Easy. <laughs> we have different likes, different dislikes. We have different styles. We have different menus. We have everything that's different. But hopefully we have one thing in common. That we are known of God. And we love Jesus. And I want to tell you this morning, I'm going to encourage you to get your head out of the clouds, get your head out of outer space, quit staring in the unknown, 
And let's be the witnesses that He's called us to be. Let's live a life that will honor my Father and they will lead people to Jesus. If you're here for the first time or the second time of your entire life in this church house, I hope, if anything, that you have felt loved by God. I pray somehow that the Holy Spirit will let you know deep down, even in the middle of imperfections, that God loves you. And He wants a relationship with you. Amen? Father, for years, maybe there's no maybe to it. When Gail and I first got in church, you know, they programmed me to be different. They told me that I wasn't like the Baptists and the Methodists and all those other people. They programmed us that we were better, we were beyond, we were more spiritual. And I found myself being secluded in a small, empty, lonely box until I come to know you. And I found out that there are people all over the world that love you, that are not like me. There's people in this church house that have been raised in different doctrines and churches and theologies. We're, we're nowhere alike on the outside, but something connects us on the inside. We love you. And we're going to make a promise to you that we're going to get our heads out of a spiritual cloud and we're going to quit gazing into the unknown and we are going to be witnesses for the glory of the kingdom of Christ until we die. Connect our hearts together, bind us together this morning. Help us fulfill the great commission that Jesus is Lord of all. And we give you thanks in Christ's name. Amen. If you're a little different than the person beside you, just say amen. Huh? <laughs> Stand and give the Lord a praise offering this morning, would you please? Huh? The Lord is worthy today. Man, God is good. Communion service, would you please come? That night he said with his disciples, you talk about a motley crew. They were all different. Different ambitions, different backgrounds, different desires, mental, physical, spiritual capacities. They covered the whole spectrum. But he brought them all together and they found unity in these two sacraments, the bread and the cup. He lifted up the cup 
He lifted up the bread, said, this bread is my body broken for you. He lifted the cup and he said, this is my blood that will be shed for the forgiveness of your sins. John 17 says, in doing so, he said, Father, that they may be one, even as you and I are one. There's something wonderful as we celebrate Holy Communion. It's more than just a selfish spiritual journey. It helps us become connected and unified with others. Father, help us to be one as we glorify you in Jesus' name. Amen.